0: So John 14:10 through 14 Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. the blessing that comes to us from the Father and Son union and the foundation of what we're going to talk about today and next week. Um, There are five specific things in this next section of John 14 that Jesus gives us um, that come to us from the blessing of the union of the Father and the Son. We're going to deal with two of them today. Next week we will deal with three of them. But foundationally connected with this blessing... It's what Jesus twice said that we looked at last week. It's in verse 10 and verse 11. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And then in verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And so Jesus is going to speak today of the critical truths and blessings that come to us because of this union of the Father with the Son and the Son with the Father. And so this union of the Father and Son... Produces in us because we are in Christ, produces for us some of the greatest promises in our lives. And so, again, five really key things part one today, two next week, we will deal with three of those. As I look back over the notes yesterday, getting ready for today, um, I was aware of these five things, and particularly these two things today, um, how I so want them to be more a part of my life. Um, As you know, our our growth in Christ is always a process as we get older and, and deeper, and not everything is always working properly, right? Unless, unless you've mastered Christianity, and maybe you need to come up here, um, but most of us have not mastered this, and so we wrestle with some of these things still, and I was reminded of the importance of, of the call of Christ here, that we can do these things, but also to have the right perspective and understanding of them. And so today we're going to talk about The works of Jesus and prayer today. And what does that look like in our life? And want to make sure that we understand what Jesus is saying. Because um, on the surface, it would look like those who preach the prosperity gospel actually have a text to teach the prosperity gospel. Hey, the works that Jesus did, which were many and pretty amazing... Not only will we do those, Jesus said, but we will do them greater than he did them. And then he says, if you ask anything in my name, he says there, I will do it. And so on the surface, it looks like there there may be a a foundation for the prosperity gospel, but I'm not going to preach the prosperity gospel. I think there's another meaning of what Jesus speaks about here that is important for us. But I guess in a sense, we could see how they have misapplied this in much of the teaching. Um, The great danger with this teaching in the prosperity gospel is this, is that those pastors, preachers, conference leaders, whatever the case may be, tell people there's this great trove of blessing that is connected with God. And it is all yours for the asking. You can do greater things than Jesus. And then when those things don't happen in people's lives... There's an indirect or even a direct communication that says, well, the problem is not my teaching. The problem is not Jesus. The problem is you. You people aren't applying what's been made available to you. And that is terrible teaching. It is bad, bad doctrine. And that is not what Jesus is talking about today. So we will deal with that today pretty extensively because it's important for us to understand What does this mean that we do the works of Jesus and we will even do greater works? And what does it mean that Jesus says, "Um, ask whatever in my name and I will do it. So let's go first of all to verse 12 and let's talk about doing the works of Jesus. Let's read 12 again, just make sure that we have it in our head. And what a blessing that we get to do this. We get to participate in exactly these words. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. As we've seen in the Gospel of John, when Jesus says, truly, truly, He says that often He is saying, I'm about to say something really, really important. You need to listen to this. You need to heed what I'm about to say to you. So He's telling the eleven, what. What what he's about to say is really important. They really need to listen to it. And so he says, I'm saying this to you as the eleven so that you would get this. Whoever, first thing he says there, whoever believes in me. So who is whoever? Whoever is a reference to any believer who believes in Christ as their Savior. So that's the whoever. So whoever believes that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Savior, believes by faith, is saved of their sin by God's work alone. And the word believes there, so whoever believes, word believes means to keep on believing. So, so listen to what Jesus is saying. Whoever has come to faith in me and continues to believe that I'm the source of salvation and you seek me and you follow me, you are the one who continues to believe, who will continue the works that I have done after I leave. Remember all this. This is in the context... Context is everything in studying the Bible. This is in the context of him telling them, I'm about to go away from you, and where I'm going, you can't come, um, but I'm going to come back. Remember, their hearts were troubled, verse 1 of chapter 14. And he says, don't worry about it. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I'm going to remind you that I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you, and I'm going to take you to be where I am. And so the context is his leaving. he says that, as a matter of fact, those are the last words in verse 12. Because I am going to the Father. I am leaving and I am going away. And so the reference here is those who believe and continue to believe that Jesus is the Savior, they will, the next part is, will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So there are three aspects I want to briefly touch on just for a second that the greater works or the works that Jesus did are tied to, that he's speaking to them about. First one is simply this. It is tied to his leaving to the Father. So I'm going to go away, and then I'm going to entrust you to continue doing the things that I have been doing. Secondly, when he goes away, who's going to come? The Spirit's going to come. So he's going to go away. He's going to sit at the right hand of his Father in his exaltation. He will begin his great intercession ministry during the church age the spirit will come and indwell believers at Pentecost and thirdly it will be the spirit empowering Christ followers to continue the work of ministry that Jesus began so we have to ask the question we've got to deal with this what does all this mean that we do his works and even greater works we will do than Jesus and so as we begin to answer this very important question there are multiple layers that are connected with it that we've got to peel back and look at to gain insight. So let's talk about, just for a moment, what were the works of Jesus? Well, number one, He performed supernatural miracles. People with leprosy were cured. People born blind got their sight back. People who were deaf got their hearing back. People whose legs never worked had legs that worked. Shriveled hands worked, could open and closed. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He performed supernatural miracles. Here's the second great work that Jesus did. Listen to this one because it's really important. Jesus taught exactly, without error, word for word, the words of the Father, with no hiccups, no adding to them, No taking away from them. His preaching, teaching ministry was absolutely perfect. That was one of the works that he did, this teaching ministry. Third thing that Jesus did that was tied to all of that is that Jesus lived sinless. So in every ministry work of healing and teaching, what did he do? He did it perfectly. Every aspect of it was perfect. It was flawless, untainted by sin. Here's the fourth thing in regard to the work of Jesus, and this comes directly um, from His mouth, and we will look at this in just a moment in John chapter 6. Jesus said, the greatest work that I do, and the great work is to believe in the Son of God. That's the great work. It is the great work of salvation, and that is the ultimate meaning here. When we get there in a moment, you'll see that that is what He is referring to so I want you to go to John 17 just for a second turn to the right and then we'll go back to John 14 let me show you one other great work that Jesus did John 17 in verse 4 this is Jesus speaking to the Father he says I have glorified you on earth having accomplished in other words finished having accomplished and finished the work notice the word work That you gave me to do. What did he come to accomplish? What was the work? What was the reason the father sent him? To to bring what? Salvation. To provide a way that there would be a way to believe that our sin would be forgiven. There would be one who would become the wrath bearer. All of the things connected to the work of salvation. So here in the upper room later he tells them. He tells the father. He says to the father I have accomplished all the things father that you have asked me to do. I have done those. So not only did Jesus do everything perfectly, He did so many things. We must ask the question then, let me ask this question, this is a response question. You know what response questions mean? That means you say something out loud, or at least nod your head and acknowledge. Got it, Grissom? You got it? Okay, alright. Has there ever been, since Jesus left the earth and ascended, any Christ follower that has perfectly lived everything that God wanted them to live? Okay, so are we we in agreement about that? Okay, so when Jesus says, I have finished the work and accomplished, Father, what you asked me to do, He did that, and yet here He says, and the great work that He did was the work of salvation, so when He leaves and He sends the Spirit, and here He tells the eleven, you're going to do the work that I did, and not only are you going to do the work that I did, you're going to do even greater than what I did. What in the world does this mean? And I think, really, an honest examination of it, it's not real difficult because you have to ask the question is what does doing greater mean? What does doing equal mean? Well, it means this if we will do the works of Jesus and we will do even greater works than Jesus, it seems that we should all be performing miracles walking in perfect and complete dependence and obedience with the Father. We should be perfectly showing God's love. We should be able to see all day long what the Father's doing and hear all day long what the Father is saying. We would also be able to be perfectly extending the grace and mercy of the Father to all, plus also dealing perfectly and rightly with all the falsehood of religious leaders and their errors like Jesus did. Jesus consistently did all of these things and far more and you and I know this we can't even do what he did it's written in the gospels very well so what in the world is Jesus saying that you're going to do the work that I did and you're going to do it even greater as a matter of fact there are things that Jesus did that we don't even know about John saw them and he wrote them down he wrote this down in John 20, 30, he said, Now Jesus did many other signs, in the presence, in the, in the, other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. So are we going to be able to do at least minimum what all that Jesus did? And are we also going to even be able to do more than what Jesus did and all of that? And so ever since these words have been spoken... There's been confusion in some realms and it's really confusing today because of the prosperity gospel that is around. So does this mean that you and I will have greater power than Jesus? No, he's God. That power resides in us, but we, are st- we still wrestle with sin. So there's no way that we're going to be able to live up with that. And even if we could get to the place of having the right kind of knowledge to even learn how to do something with that power, We still have to deal with sin. We wouldn't use the power rightly. We would probably use it selfishly. Right? Most of our prayers, if we had an honest look at them, were kind of filled with us and us, not the glory of God. And and so we just wrestle with these things. And so we've got to come to an understanding. What did Jesus mean? Jesus did a lot of things. And so if we're going to do greater than Jesus, does that mean that we're going to, be greater healers of the blind, of leprosy, of the lame? Or is there something else that Jesus practiced and Jesus did that we will actually do greater and more extensively than he did? And I would answer this, yes, there is something that he did that was entrusted to us that the church for the last 2,000 years did better than Jesus when he was here. And if you kind of think I'm borderline heresy, I'm not. You'll see in just a moment what this is. Because did Jesus say these words? Yeah, John said he did. He recorded them for us. And so there's truth to these. So what is it? So, so let me use a, another simplistic term. Sports people in the room this morning. Is Jesus meaning that he did stuff and we would do more than him? That his ministry was junior varsity or B-team? And now that we're all here, we're varsity, and we're the A-team. Is that his point? No. Or another way to put it is simply like this. Is that should what Jesus did be our minimum? If we're going to do what the works that Jesus did, and we're going to do greater works, at least should we just be doing what we read in the pages of Scripture? That, that the exact things that Jesus did should be at the minimum place, Of what we are doing in our life. And so are the works and teachings of Jesus the minimum expectation that God has of the way our life ought to look like. Obviously that is not the case. Um, The apostles did not do everything exactly the way Jesus did. And we are not either in regard to the miracles. But let me say this. I am a firm believer this morning and I hope you are too. That God still does miracles. That he can he can do supernatural things on the planet. As a matter of fact, in the Middle East, if you'll go and, and read what God's doing in the Middle Eastern part of the world, particularly among Muslim people, He is appearing and revealing Himself in their dreams. And I've read these stories, and some of them leave their house, walk to other towns, and knock on a door there and said, Listen, a man appeared to me in my dream and told me to come to this house and ask you what that means. My brother lives over in that area, and he tells these stories of meeting people. So God is still in the business of doing miracles. God still um, does some pretty amazing things. So we know that God does that. God can do that. God has done that, and God will continue to do that. In the Bible, we see that Moses performed miracles, Elijah and Elisha. During Daniel's days, that's a joke for the youth. We've been talking about Elijah and Elisha. You've got to pronounce those and there's no confusion. During Daniel's time, there were miracles. In the book of Acts, Peter's shadow brought healing. They brought handkerchiefs to the Apostle Paul and aprons and laid them on him. And they took them to people and it brought healing. But when you start reading in the epistles, you start seeing that there seems to be less of the miraculous in some of the letters. Let me give you some examples of that. Paul told Timothy in chapter 5, 1 Timothy 5, 23, to drink some wine for his stomach problems. He didn't tell him to name it and claim it and just fix Timothy's stomach problems. That wasn't what Paul told him. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, Paul has a companion named Trophimus. Paul's with him in Miletus. And Trophimus is sick, and Paul leaves him and goes on and leaves Trophimus sick in Miletus. If Paul had the ability to heal, why did he not just heal Trophimus before Paul left? Paul was imprisoned, depending on who you talk to, either in Rome two times or three times. I'm a three-timer. Paul was the greatest missionary. If Paul could name it and claim it, why did he not, on that third missionary trip and he gets arrested and he gets put in prison in Rome again why didn't he just name it and claim it and get out and get with the business of ministry and Paul ended up having to stay in prison and lost his head for it he was locked up and stuck in Romans chapter 1 10 through 13 it says that Paul says I was prevented from coming to the Roman church in first Thessalonians two eighteen, Paul literally says these words he says, I was prevented by Satan to come to Thessalonica. Well, if Paul had all this apostolic power, why did he just not rebuke Satan and get on to Thessalonica? Why, did he not be able to, why was he not able to get there? And then you'll remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul had a thorn in his flesh and he pleaded with the Lord, Will you take this away from me? And God said, No, my grace is sufficient for you. None of the apostles walked on water. Don't give Peter too much credit. He walked briefly. He never did it again. And he only walked because his eyes were fixed on Jesus. That didn't end well. None of them fed 20,000 people from a few small loaves of bread and fish. None of them raised people from the dead after four days. There was some raising of the dead, but not after four days. So as the end of the first century comes, even the apostles are not doing the exact same works on the same level that Jesus was doing. As a matter of fact, you get to the second century church, and you can read from church history, they were not doing in the second century what was taking place in the first century. That first century church, pretty awesome, pretty unique. Most of the time in the Bible, when there were miracles, it was a... It was, it was there to bring confirmation that God's presence and God's work was in the midst of those people. So in the last 19 years of the church, there has not been a time like the first age. Now we do know from Joel 2 that there will be a great awakening eventually, um, and there may be a lot more of these kind of things that will happen and take place. But we can only conclude that it's a false teaching in these days to say that we will do exactly what Jesus did in regard to the works and that we will do even more miracle works than Jesus because that just has not happened even with the apostles did that happen. And that is not to be our minimum standard for what our life ought to look like. So what in the world does it mean? Well, let me give you two things that people who are followers of Jesus have done more extensively in regard to the work that Jesus began over the last 2,000 years. Jesus is referring to more in volume in what was done, not in the exact nature and exact everything that He did in every aspect of His ministry. So Jesus is talking about quantity of work, not necessarily the quality of the work by doing exactly what He did with miracles. So here's two things. These will be up on the screen. What is the great work? We'll look at it in detail in a moment. But the great work of God is salvation. That is the greatest work. It's in John 6, and we'll turn to John 6 in just a moment. During Jesus' ministry on the earth, follow me, He was one person in one city in one exact time in one exact place doing work there. The work that he did was incredibly powerful when he was doing that with a Samaritan woman or healing the blind man in the temple, healing the leper. He was one person doing the work. He leaves and goes to the Father. And let me remind you of something so awesome, so incredible. So he's around for 40 days. He ascends. He tells them to go to Jerusalem and to wait that the Helper is going to come. When the Helper came on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, Holy Spirit says, they described it, Luke describes it like flames of tongues of fire landing on everybody. Before, they just follow Jesus around and Jesus would teach and they would sit there and they would help out and they would watch Jesus teach. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, fills every believer. Do you remember what Acts 2 tells us they immediately did? They went from the upper room down into the streets and they spoke the gospel in foreign languages. All these people from all over the world had come to Jerusalem and so they're sharing the gospel in foreign languages. Watch, already on the day of Pentecost, this fulfilling of more work that the church would do was being accomplished. Multiple people are sharing the gospel. It wasn't just Jesus. 3,000 people came to believe on that day. We're not for sure if Jesus even reached 3,000 people in His three years of ministry. So the point of what Jesus is talking about, you will do more work than I did, is gospel work. It is the proclamation of the gospel in people coming to know Christ. And so, right now, love this. So yesterday, our friends in Asia worshipped on Saturday. But all over the planet today on Sunday, what have people been doing today? Proclaiming the name of Jesus. If Jesus would have stayed here, He'd have just been in one place, at one time, and in one hour. Yeah, we have technology today. We could video it. We could live stream it. But He would be in one place. His plan was this. Let me tell you the, gospel. Let me tell you the work. Jesus' plan was that you will do greater work. There are millions of people today proclaiming the name of Jesus right now. Jesus didn't do that when He was here. So would the church, would the eleven do more than Jesus in regard to gospel proclamation? Yes, they would. And that is the reference of what Jesus is pointing to here. So not only would there be more proclaimers and workers, but secondly, there would be wider geographical work. Jesus Outside of the Samaritan woman in John 4, and then in Mark 7, he dealt with the Syro Phoenician woman. Those are the only two Gentiles that he had close contact with. He mainly dealt with Jews. What did the apostles deal with? Gentiles. They took the gospel outside of Israel. Jesus never took the gospel when he was here outside of Israel. You and I are in this room today. You and I are in this room today, and those who believe and have a relationship with Christ, because people began to tell the story of Jesus. And it continued to be told. And so the work has come to the 21st century. And we know Christ in the room today. So this is is the point. So all of this teaching about You'll do more miracles than Jesus did. And that will be, you'll do greater. That will be the minimum standard for you is hogwash. That's not the point of what Jesus was talking about here. What Jesus was talking about is this, is that the church would take the gospel to the nations. What were the last words Jesus said? Go start here, go to Samaria, go to Judea, go to Samaria, and go to the furthest parts of the world. Go do that. Because Jesus is saying, I didn't get there, so watch. I'm going to be in you, so you take me, because I'm in you. You take me there, and you proclaim me to the people who don't know. D.A. Carson wrote about this text, and he said, The greater works are those done on the basis of Jesus' death, resurrection, and exaltation. The greater works point to the power of, of the gospel to transform lives as it spread through the apostolic witness. And through Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were born again, probably more than Jesus saw converted in his entire ministry. The book of Acts tells us how the message kept spreading, first around Jerusalem and eventually to the Gentiles around the Roman Empire. Now I want you to go to John chapter 6, and I want to show you why we know this is what Jesus is speaking about in John 14. Because he defines for us what the work of God is. John 6. This is the day after the feeding of the 5,000 men. Again, upwards to probably 20,000 people there that day. They wake up the next day and Jesus isn't around. It's pretty awesome the day before. So John 6.25 says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, They said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Now listen to the question they asked. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Now look up here just for a second. Here's our question. We want to do the works of God. You did the works of God yesterday. That's clear and evident to us. So what must we do to do the works of God? Jesus defines what the work of God is. Look Look what he says. So Jesus answered them, this is The work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Jesus said that over and over. The father sent me. The father sent me. I have been sent by the father. So what is the great work that we can do and can even do it more than Jesus did when he was here? It's the gospel work of missions. Let me give you an example. Jesus never left the borders. Well, he did as a kid, went to Egypt. But during his ministry, never left the borders of Israel. Never was gone from it. So over the last 2,000 years, the gospel has been taken to other places. Churches have been birthed. People have come to know the Lord over the last couple thousand years. And this church here in McKinney, Texas got connected to a country in Asia. And we've been training leaders, we've been building churches. We just saw pictures last week of 35 people as a result of our partnership there. Not that we we did all that. They've done the work, but there's a partnership there. We have gone, we have done this and there are people being added daily. Added often in this country. Guess what? We have been a part of. We have done something that Jesus didn't do. He never stepped foot in that country. And we as a church have been able to step foot in that country. To take the gospel and proclaim. And people have come to believe. So I want to I I encourage us this morning. To make sure that we get this. We get to participate in the fulfillment of what Jesus says here. Not only will you do my great work of of revelation of of who God is and what salvation and how to believe and who to believe in, not only will you get to do what I've been doing here, you're going to do it far greater than I did. Because you're going to take it to the nations. People are going to come to know you. And so marriages are going to be fixed. People's education and kindness and love and understanding of God and walking away from idol worship and coming into relationship, all of those things because of the gospel proclamation, you will do far more than I did in my three years of ministry. That is the perspective of this. And it all comes about, why? Because He goes to the Father. And when He goes to the Father, the Spirit will come. So this is the point of what Jesus is teaching here. This is not that we're going to go out and our minimum is today we're going to heal about 10 blind people and then we're going to raise some dead people we're going to cast out some demons would be awesome to do that by the way today but that's not what's going to happen what does he want us to do what is the work the work is to do the gospel work because the work of God is to believe in him whom God has sent and that is Jesus so we're going to talk about Jesus and as we do that It does something significant. Let's talk about prayer now. Look at 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name. This I will do. That the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask me anything. In my name. I will do it. So on the heels of what we have just talked about. In verse 12. It will be through prayer that we will need to be empowered by the Spirit to take the gospel and do this greater work than Jesus did in taking the gospel to the nations. The strongest resource of our prayer life comes in the reality that Jesus has gone away to be our great intercessor. Do you remember what Hebrews writes? He ever lives to intercede for His people. So right now in this room today, if your heart is troubled, I want you to know that Jesus feels the pain, the wrestling, the trouble. He is praying. He is interceding. Not only is Jesus doing that, but Paul told us that the Holy Spirit does that as well. In Romans eight twenty six, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I said it earlier. Context is everything. It's everything. What's the context? The context is doing greater works. We can't separate 12 from 13 and 14. The context of all of this is Jesus is going away and these 11 are going to continue the work of Jesus. So He's teaching them what they are continuing to do. They will do the works of Jesus proclaiming. Some of them will do miracles. They will. Some of these will do miracles. But that will fade out. And they didn't do them again all the time. The apostles did not do them all of the time. So what does it mean then when Jesus says, whatever you ask, just tag my name onto it, and I'll do it. So, I brought something with me this morning. A taco pinata. That's pretty awesome. I'm sorry it doesn't have any candy in it. I will sell this after the service and you can take it home and put candy in it, but it's empty. But you know what a pinata is fill it up, take a stick. Beat on it, beat on it until it begins to pour out really, really good stuff. Listen to me, church. Prayer is not a pinata where God is in heaven and He's holding all of the blessings and we take a stick, the name of Jesus, and we just beat in the name of Jesus until what we want comes pouring out. That's not what prayer is. Now we're going to talk about what prayer is by definition here in just a second. But we're not here just to hit God up in Jesus' name so that all the blessings come falling down to us. I think people who teach that ought to be hit with a stick. But that's a personal opinion. The big big, big key piece of this promise, again, is tied... To the gospel work. They will, the eleven, and then we will go to places and ask for things in Jesus' name among the nations to see faith established there. And again, watch, when faith is established, children, prodigals come home, marriages are healed. Sinners wrestling with addiction when the when the gospel is established and faith in Jesus comes, there's freedom that comes in the truth of that. So the gospel work, the belief in Jesus, that is the hope of the nations. Christ. So what do the nations need more than anything? They need to hear the name of Jesus. There needs to be belief in the name of Jesus. And that happens by praying and asking the Lord to do something. There are three parameters of prayer that Jesus gives here. Let me touch on them and then I want to get really personal on regard to something I know we can all relate to. Three parameters of prayer. First one is this. We are to ask in His name in line with Christ's gospel work. And again, context is everything. The context of this is Jesus is leaving. Him entrusting them, the Spirit coming to indwell and entrusting them with the gospel work now i want you to hear this this is really important we've been in john now for two years two years we've been in john for about 18 months of that from john 5 to now in john 14 we have seen jesus say this in almost every chapter from john 5 on i do not do anything in my own authority i do things in whose authority the Father's, right? God's. So watch this. In regard to prayer, G, the Father didn't say to the Son, okay, you have to only do the things that are connected to my authority. And when I'm going to go away, I want you to do things in your authority. Whose authority are we to continue to do and trust in? God's authority. Not ours. And So, so Jesus wasn't asked... To do things and say things in His Father's authority, not His own authority, though Jesus had great authority. And now in turn to say to us, well, you operate your prayer life in your authority, not in God's. We are to operate our prayer life in the authority of God. So He's not going to change things and tell us that we can speak in prayer of our own authority and just tag His name onto it, and He'll just make everything happen. The context is, of whatever you ask is tied to the works of Jesus and seeing belief in Christ come to the nations. Asking in his name is to petition him based on the merit of who he is and his character. John Piper said it of this phrase of this I will do and in talking about prayer he said, we use prayer instead instead of using prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie to call in supplies for the battle, we have turned it into an intercom to ask for more comforts in the den. And it's a war that we are in. And we need his work, and we need to plead with God, and we need to ask God to come. So we ask in, in his name in line with his gospel work. Secondly, we are to pray in line for things where the Father gets glorified in the Son. So that's the next part of verse thirteen. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. What this means is you're probably not going to get your Porsche you've been praying for. I can probably in confidence this morning say it's not coming if you've been praying for that. Maybe that's God's will for you and that's a unique blessing. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a Porsche. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying if we're supposed to pray in line with God's gospel work, I don't know if the Porsche fits into that. You can get that done in a 75 beetle. The gospel can go forth with that. So we are to pray in line with the Father getting glory in the Son. Well, what are some ways the Father gets glory in the Son when we pray for things? I got a bunch of things here, but let me just give you some of them. God gets glory when we pray for people's salvation. God gets glory when we pray for courage for other believers, like our Afghan brothers and sisters right now who are under the gun in Afghanistan. and We pray for them, God gets the glory. When we pray for the health of the people of God, God gets glory in that. When we pray for physical healing, God gets the glory. James 5, calling the elders to anoint the sick with oil and to pray when we pray for opportunities to serve in gospel ministry god gets the glory when troubled marriages find healing do you think god gets glorified by that absolutely god does when prodigal children who have been away from the lord for decades return home does god get glory in that god gets glory in that When we expand the kingdom of God, God is glorified. When we establish and build churches, when we glorify the name of God in songwriting and singing, God God gets the glory. And when we participate in the mission of God. And so, in the answering of prayer, we must pray in line where God is glorified. Thirdly, parameter of prayer, we are to ask in the name of Jesus. Verse 14, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. But again, let me just state here this morning, this is not some one, two, three step formula to just add to our prayers and tag Jesus' name on for that and everything's going to turn out the way we want it to. But our prayer should be aimed at and directed at the name of Jesus, the name above all names, the name that is, is the hope of the world. Our prayer should be in that direction. We don't ask on the basis of our goodness. Or we don't say, hey God, I've been good this week. Got some things I want to lay out before you. We don't ever come on the basis of our goodness. Because we don't have enough. Are y'all in agreement with me there? We don't have enough. We come in prayer on the basis of His merits. Of His goodness. And His love. So to ask in His name is to come to the Father through the Son as our great high priest and to ask Him to work and move. Prayer ultimately is not to be seen as God just always basically says no and so we pray really hard to twist His arm to get Him to say yes, no. You remember what Paul wrote in Second Corinthians 1? All of the promises of God are yes and an amen in Jesus he's he he's the source not us so ultimately prayer watch is to change us not to change God he doesn't need any changing and we don't pray to twist his arm we are changed as we pray but not God two more verses listen to these if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. James 1.5. John in 1 John 5.14 wrote, And this is the confidence that we have toward God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, again, in line with the name of God, we know that we have, we have the request that we have asked of Him. And then I want to get real honest this morning. And, and I got real honest in the first service, and there may, be some, there may be some tears here in just a moment, but let's just talk. Can we talk for a moment as family, honestly? Because many of us in the room this morning have prayed in line with what we see in Scripture and we pleaded with God to do something and it didn't come to fruition. So what do you do in those moments? Have you been there? We've all been there, right? Is there a perspective to gain about that? We, we plead with God, we ask God, we pray to God and what if He has not done what we've asked? Many of us have prayed for family members' salvation or for them to return to the Lord and we've done it for years and years and years and it hasn't happened yet. We prayed for marriages of close friends that were in our circles and prayed and prayed and the marriages ended up in divorce. Godly parents for decades have pleaded with God for their prodigal children to return home in reconciliation. Missionaries have gone to foreign places and have given decades of their life. They've lost family members there among the people they serve to never see a move of God in their entire missionary endeavor. So did God hear or was He uninterested? We have just gone through that here. Our friend and brother Wren has pleaded with God. So what what do we do? What do we do in the moments when we have prayed biblically and it doesn't seem the answer is there? I want to give us some perspective because I think this is important. Sometimes... Well, all the time we need to remember this, but sometimes the things that come into our life, God has a greater aim in our life than we have, and His aim always is Christ-likeness. That's what He's aiming for all the time. And so sometimes God uses these moments of us pleading, praying in the will of God, and asking God to move, And the purpose of His delay is to refine us. To deepen our trust in Him. He never says when He will do something. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Wait for the Lord and take courage. Wait for the Lord. And as we wait we are refined and shaped into his image when you watch this when you plead for decades for your kids to come back to the lord or you, you pray for a reconciliation maybe maybe you're you're an adult child and your parents older or, or maybe it's 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 a it's a parent or 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 whatever the case may be and you've you've just you've pleaded with god for years and years and years what's the benefit of this whose face have you turned to As you pled to God's. What a better face to look into, to plead for God to move, than to look into the face and to point in His direction our prayers. And as we do that, God brings refinement. Secondly, this is an important one, we are never going to understand why God allows some of the things that God allows. And then in other instances, he moves. We're never going to understand his mind about things. But I know this to be true in my own life. We've gone through cancer in our family, my wife. Some of you have gone through that. Some of you have walked through incredibly difficult things over the past year. And on this side of heaven, we may not fully understand all of the whys and the reasons why certain things have have come our way, but I know this to be true because the Bible testifies to it, church history testifies to it, and many of our own testimonies testify to it. Not all things are good, right? But God uses all things for good. And so sometimes we... We just don't know why, and so we trust. I do know that he's good, and I do know that he is always at work. I read a story. Let me share this with us, and then I got two other brief things to say. There was a businessman driving down the road back in the time when you used to pick up hitchhikers. It's kind of a scary thought, right? People used to do that all the time, and people hitchhiked, and not in today's world. We well, picked up a hitchhiker, this businessman. The hitchhiker was a believer and shared the gospel with the businessman. And by the time the businessman got the hitchhiker to where he needed to go, he had prayed to believe in Jesus. He'd become a Christian. So right before he got out, he, the businessman gave the hitchhiker a business card and said, listen, if you ever, if you ever uh, come to Chicago, look me up. I'd love to see you again. I'd love to find out what's been going on. And so several years went by and the hitchhiker eventually did make it to Chicago he still had the business card and he showed up to the office and he walked in and he came in and he asked for the man's by name there's a lady sitting there he handed the card to her and she just began to weep and she was shocked and and she said where did you get this so the man used the question to tell the story of how he as a hitchhiker had been picked up by this man and had and it led him to Christ and he had become a Christian that day. And the woman again just in tears said, Well, that was my husband. He died not long after he dropped you off in a car crash. And I have been bitter at God all of these years that God never answered my prayer. And there at that moment she realized that God had been at work. And he had been doing things. And not everybody's going to have a story like this. But you know, when we get there one day, when he wipes every tear from our eyes and this old order of brokenness and hardness is just over with and and this is done, we're not going to experience any of this stuff anymore. When we get there, we will see and understand that he had been ever at work in our lives and particularly in the hard, hard, dark moments of our lives. He'd been present. He'd never left us alone. And he'd heard every prayer, every pleading. He'd heard every one of them. And this is not a cop-out for us. The world says, oh, you Christians, this is a cop-out answer for you. You see, church, we must embrace the sovereignty of God. That He ultimately knows what He's doing when we don't know and we can't see it and we can't sense it. I must rest in His goodness. And His non-answer and my pleading cannot remove my trust in His goodness. I must continue to believe. And this is the last thing I'll say this morning. Never stop pleading with God in line with the name of Jesus, in line with the will of God. Never stop pleading. Ask. 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 Do you remember when Jesus gave the parable one day? A man had gotten in bed and his kids were all tucked in bed and he had a neighbor that had somebody surprise him and he needed bread and he came to the neighbor's house and he knocked and he said, I need bread. He said, go away. All my children are in bed. And he said, no, I need bread. And he kept knocking. And finally, the man got out of bed and gave his neighbor bread. You remember the parable that Jesus told about the woman whose son... Needed help from a judge and she just wouldn't stop going to the judge and saying, you can do something. You've got the authority. You've got the power. And Jesus in in that parable says, what will the judge do? Well, eventually he gets worn out and he moves. Now, we can't wear God out. He doesn't sleep. He's never tired. But what's the point? Plead with God. God. And trust. Plead with God. And trust. My. My heart is broken this morning. We have a family church that we have to take care of in the days ahead. And we will take care of them. And there's a, le- there's a lesson. I wrote this. Listen. I wrote this sermon Three and a half months ago, I wrote this sermon. How fitting that it would be today where we pled for a month, God, will you do something? And he didn't answer in the way that we wanted him to, but he did answer. And so I I, want to remind you and I today, this is real life stuff. This is not pretend things. This is in our life, God is at work in the hard moments. And hear me, church. Listen to this great reality. He is trustworthy. And we must trust Him. And so we participate in the move of God doing more works than even Jesus Himself did. And then we also pray And ask God to move, knowing that He always moves. It may not be in line with what we want, but He is moving and He is answering and He's good and we can trust Him. And we can trust Him in every aspect of our life. He is the shepherd, the good shepherd. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod, your weapons, your rod, and your staff, they comfort me. And those who walk with Him and continue to believe, listen, they will experience Psalm 23.6 and surely goodness and mercy will, not hope to, will follow me all the days of my life. And when this life is over with, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever we will be with him. These are words we need to embrace, real life stuff, knowing the hope that we have in Jesus. Let's pray.